On this episode of Industry Relations, we talk to John Campbell of Stevens, and we get Wall Street's take on the real estate industry. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective, with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Industry Relations uh, with Rob and Greg. Boy, we have been consistent and hopefully uh, technology won't let us down on this casual Friday version. Mr. Greg Robertson. Greg, hey! Hola. It is the casual Friday edition. And <laughs> we didn't even call each other, but like, look, I could put on glasses. So we could do the hat. Okay, yeah, glasses. so this is the look. It's the this look. The look. It's, it's the industry relations look. <laughs> How are you, man? Good, man, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, I. I haven't heard much uh, in terms of response from our team, Marge, team Brenda, but uh, I have to say that was one of the more fun ones. Yeah. Have you heard anything? No, I heard a lot of good comments on it. So I think uh, they appreciate the banner back and forth. And uh, I'll, I'll do an- another thing. I'll, I'll do a shout out to you. I mean, yeah. um, recently you just published uh, a great post, a great article called G- JP Morgan and CoStar's Residential Strategy. Ah, thank um, you. Now, this is under the veil of the notorious VIP, so that that's right. subscriber-only type of content. But, man, if there was an ever reason for anybody to sign up and get that 200 bucks for 200 bucks, <laughs> it would be this article. It's not even 200 It's 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Okay, yeah, so there you go. Right? right? So, um, I, you know, I would say go the year, but, I mean, that, well, that's I mean, me, right? Know. Of course, I would as well. But, but um, you know, really like, spot on analysis, yeah. and I know Thank we're going to be talking to some uh, really smart people here on the podcast, a person on the podcast. But um, just a, a shout out: if you guys have not signed up for Rob's Notorious VIP uh, uh, subscription, you got to man because just for that article so alone, so really good. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much. But uh, so that's the thing is, it was just a an analyst sort of note that I did a you know take on, and that amusingly enough, of course, I've I've gotten. Uh, shall we say some protests from <laughs> from <laughs> as one does one executive out of that co-star, which which was bizarre. I'm like, you understand when I say like Andy is a genius. This is like a praise, right? This is a compliment. But yeah. okay, you want to protest it, whatever. But I think what's cool is that we have someone with us that's actually going to help us understand a little bit because you know, like. Okay. Thank yes, God. we're Thank industry God. people. You know, I have my take on it, but we don't we don't talk to the Wall Street crowd. We don't do the analyst days. So I wanted to bring on an old friend uh, who's been on with it with us before. You know, who is one of those guys. So let's bring him on, Mr. John Campbell. There he is. Yeah, here we go. How are you, John? So John is the equity research person. I think one of the best actually in on Wall Street that covers real estate. Prop tech. I mean, this is your your beat, right? This. So, I know you've just went through the whole earnings season, and if anyone's paying attention to this market, real estate and public companies in real estate, you. Um, so we just wanted to kind of get your take on a lot of these companies. Um, so um, it's not going to be quite rapid fire because I think there are certain companies that I think we're more interested in, you know, than others, you know, for good or for ill. Um, but, uh, you know, you heard just that exchange. So let's, before we even get into CoStar, let's start with the big, the big dog that everyone's obsessed about that's been driving, you know, the whole conversation for the last few years, Zillow. Uh, what's your take on Zillow? I mean, look, I, I read your note 
but obviously most of our listeners haven't. But so what what was your take on Zillow? What do you think Wall Street's take on Zillow is now, especially after, you know, they sort of exited iBuying? It seemed like there's a bit of egg on their face. But, you know, they just post some very strong numbers and you wrote about it. Give us your take on Zillow. Yeah, so I've, I've covered, and thanks for the kind words earlier, and I, I'm also going to say if you're not subscribing to Rob Hahn, uh, you <laughs> should, absolutely. Um, he's helped me, he's given me plenty of food for, food for thought over the years, and we've had a good relationship kind of back and forth sharing thoughts, so highly suggest that. But um, on Zillow, you know, this is one we've covered for, gosh, um, since 2013. Um, yep. It's one we've been very close to. Um, coming up from our angle, um, we, you know, like the coverage list we have is real estate services. So most analysts on the sell side are going to be kind of vertically focused. They're going to cover all software companies or all insurance companies, whatever that might be. We're taking a bit of a unique approach and going horizontal, um, which I think mm-hmm. Zillow is kind of, it kind of mirrors our coverage list where you're going to start off at the top of the funnel and then they want to go further and further down the funnel and touch multiple parts of the value chain. You know, and so right. I feel like I'm not going to say we saw everything coming, but I feel like we we were under the view that they would get deeper and deeper into the transaction. Um, I think I buying was kind of a newer concept we didn't really think about in the past, but certainly launching mortgage and you know closing services with title and all that around the transaction. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, the iBuying side, I think Rob, you and I have differed a little bit there. I'm <laughs> yeah. not, I, I think there's a place for it in the market. Um, I'm not a huge fan um, of it and, and uh, you know, thinking it displaces a, a significant chunk of the market. But um, I was frankly a little surprised uh, that they backed out of it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, my view is Zillow has plenty of resources, plenty of capital. They just got done talking about uh, how great that business was, you know, the prior quarter and how things were, you know, off to the races. And then they just kind of suddenly back out of it. So my view is a company like that with brash leadership, with a lot of resources and a lot of capital has a next best alternative. There's, there's something coming. And when they talk mm-hmm. about this super app, I think it's vague for a reason. I think for strategic purposes or competitive purposes, you're not releasing everything, you know, showing your full hand at this point. Um, but I do think them coming out of iBuying is them seeing something better. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's as simple as that. Um, from a Wall Street analyst standpoint or from an investor standpoint, um, I can tell you for a fact that a lot of the big PMs I've talked to in the past who just could not get over iBuying, right? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, balance sheet intensity. And these are historically tech investors who are used to big margins, recurring revenue, stability in the model. Now we're talking about utilizing our balance sheet and throwing on all this revenue at, at loss, it losses, right? And so you had a lot of rotation. People came out of it. I, I can tell you for a fact that I've a lot of those conversations with those people that I've had, you know, five, six years ago have come back, you know? So mm-hmm. I think what you're seeing right now is a little bit of rotation in the stock. Um, and people are still like CoStar, which we'll talk about in a little bit, trying to really Absolutely. get a sense for what, you know, what's coming, you know, yeah. trying to get, trying to get a grip on it. Um, I think the million dollar question that nobody's asking uh, Zillow that, that, you know, and I've got a thesis I'll talk to in a little bit where I think they're potentially going to do. Um, but if I had to answer this question, I, I might, you know, I, I would be convicted in that thesis, or I, I would, I would punt it. You know, which is, right. you know, as you as you backed out of i buying, um, clearly you you staffed up a lot of internal agents, right? And and the whole notion and the message to the industry was that we are utilizing these agents to cut costs, right? Instead of having to utilize an agent when we buy a house, utilize an agent to sell it. 
we'll just sell it ourselves, right? And and, and, right. and reduce that the, the commission costs. Uh, and so they've been able to kind of layer on this is i'm not saying this is like russia lining up the troops on ukraine but they were able to add a lot of agents without freaking the industry out too much mm-hmm. um i think the question is you know as you've announced 25 percent reduction in headcount as you get out of ibind does that include the agents mm-hmm. because if you're getting agents strictly for i buying you get out of i buying and those agents are sticking around why i think the question mm-hmm. is why um could could there and I, I've I've looked at this over all these years and you know there's a lot of interesting elements to the Redfin model. I think Zillow could become the Redfin model by flipping a switch, right? It has its brokerage mm. licenses, it has the listings, it has now booking technology, right, with showing time. So yeah. if it really wanted to get real or really deep in the transaction and actually touch the commission dollars itself, because they're kind of doing it obviously already with Flex, right? They're they're kind of acting as a brokerage without having agents on staff. Um, I think the question is, could they look to maybe sell your house? You know, (laughs) (laughs) as crazy as it sounds. (laughs) I I think it's one of these things where think about like this, is it as easy as changing the button when you go in and you say, when Zillow says, sell your house to Zillow, changing that button to sell your house with Zillow, right? We can give you rebates, right? We can tie in Dude. mortgage mortgage, and title and give you rebates there, like Open Door's done. Like yeah, there's a way from a consumer standpoint to save money. And you, you would say, oh, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of punning the, the golden goose there. You're ruffling the feathers of your customers. Yeah. They've been doing that for years, right? Well, well that's <laughs> Redfin. That's Redfin though, right? I mean, what you're talking, the model you described is Redfin. And, and, you know, I've always heard the thing with Redfin is like, you know, all my non-real estate friends use Redfin's app. Everybody likes that app, right? But mm-hmm. the kind of conversion from from the app to actually become a customer has always been the struggle. Yeah. Right? For, I mean, sure. I don't know about Zillow being any more successful than Redfin of, of, of upping that conversion rate. I mean... Could you just well, imagine they, the industry firestorm that, oh that would happen? Yeah. Yeah. So I... I I, and I don't think it would be a full-fledged Redfin, like swapping the whole model, but like you could cherry pick transactions, right? If you find somebody who's, you think that house is going to sell in two days, represent them yourself. Um, but, you know, for the large part, I mean, and, and that kind of, you know, they talk about capturing the sell side of the economics. I mean, Zillow's built this entire empire on the buy side. They've, they've right. tried. They, I mean, the Zestimate helped a little on the sell side, bringing people in, but it wasn't high, high enough intent. They tried mm-hmm. uh, Make Me Move, right? Um, where you can list yourself, um, you know, that they've done, get a free assessment from an agent that really never works. Uh, right. And iBuying was the first time they really opened the door where they got somebody at the bottom of the funnel who raised their hand and said, hey, I'm high intent, I'm about to sell. I, I'm either right. selling you or I'll sell traditional way. And so like, I felt like that was the first time they really could start to meaningfully unlock the sell side. This is a way for them to do it. Just another angle. And Maybe they toy around with it. Maybe it's maybe it doesn't happen at all, but maybe they pivot. Uh, who knows? But uh, Zillow is known to do these type of things in the past. Um, I, I, dude. I, so, again, like we're not going to dwell on it. We're going to have to have a separate show, John, where you and I can argue about this. <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't see that. If they did that, that literally would be committing suicide, I think. Because yeah. they no longer have a sell-side product, so they no longer have anything that attracts sellers. And if they were to really go out and say, we are going to start selling houses, we're going to actually be like Redfin, do literally every listing agent would just pull the hell out. Yeah. They'd be like, okay, well, that's it. We're done. And 
you know, it just opens the door up for CoStar, uh, who probably is the next company we should talk about. Because, well, but that, I mean, hold on, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I mean, to yeah. me, I think it's simple. I mean, you know, they're I call them, you know, Zuber now, right? I mean, basically, I think they're just going to double down on the experience they give now. Where right now they have an app where somebody presses a button that says contact an agent, right? Or, you know, let's say, you know, even further on, it's like, show me this house. Mm -hmm. And nobody's responding, right? It's like you have Uber, you have this whole infrastructure set up, and you said, you know, call a driver, and no driver shuts, you know, shows up. Yeah. With the acquisition of showing time, right? And that gives them direct access into the showing software that everybody, most people use on the MLS, and then the flax with the the flex program and the facts that they're the fact that they're only going after kind of high end agents that really are producers, mm -hmm. they're going to close that loop, yeah. right? And that's going to mean more revenue for them, right? But but the, the missing part is and, I, and and the thing is, I remember I think Glenn talked about this on the last earning calls for Redfin. They talk a lot about that showing button on the on their app, yeah. right? You know, come and show. So I sure. think that's a big, a bigger deal than people think. And I think if, sure. if they can just up the number of people engaging with this super app, and I think you mm -hmm. know one of the big things about it, it'll be a big show me the house right now. Sure, um, and that's going to be a big feature of it. Um, you know, that's that's gonna that's gonna increase. But you know, the, the model they have right now. Okay, so let's get into it because this is exactly in line with your Marge versus Brenda thing from last, you know, the last episode, right? Essentially, look, you can do that if you have listings. Zillow has no listings. Zillow doesn't take any listings. When Zillow was doing iBuying, there was a chance that Zillow could have listings because they were going and buying their own homes. Going forward, Zillow has to rely on the listing agent to put the listings onto Zillow. Now, you could say, well, Zillow's a member of the MLS, and therefore, dude, I'm just saying if, if Zillow really made this move, every broker, every agent in the country would have to think twice about actually putting their listings into the MLS. If that means they have to drop off the MLS, I think some of them will. So it's, I, I just I think it's it's utter suicide for Zillow to do that. And the fact that Zillow, if well, they were if to Zillow do became like this, what's doing with selling houses, you're saying if, if they became a broker, like a full on broker, not just a I buying broker, a full on Redfin broker. I think I think it, it's instantly makes CoStar like the number one platform to go find listings. And if MLS and NAR are going to get in the way of that and start fucking around with agents and brokers, they would all tell NAR to go pound sand. I truly believe that. <clears throat> we should yeah. do a survey. Our our listeners are MLS CEOs. You know, they're brokerage CEOs. I would love to know. I think it is a Rubicon that Zillow cannot cross. Yeah, I, I, I will tell you, uh, and this is and this is my. I don't want to be clear here. I, I don't yeah. think they become Redfin. I think it's just a sliver of their business, and they can cherry pick when they want. Right. Um, and then also um, to Greg's point, I mean, I do think yes, the the Uber button, as you put it, um, with right. showing time. I mean, they've already changed it. You mentioned that could be coming. Mm -hmm. They've already changed it. If you go to their site now, the, the, where they are pointing you is to book a tour, right? right. Um, and I think Redfin will tell them that is, if you're doing that with your own agents, that is challenging. This, that's almost like Best Buy versus Amazon, where you figure out, you go to Best Buy and figure out the TV you like, and you toy around with it and see the picture, and then you go back to Amazon and buy it. Uh, <laughs> right. so, um, um, I think that's kind of right. the approach. But, um, no, no, it's it, 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 for sure, yeah. Yeah, and maybe you keep the agents on staff if you know if somebody's trying to book a tour because they they have told you that a lot of the a big chunk of these tours are not being fulfilled. Right. So maybe they keep agents on staff to go tour the house right. with you. I don't right. know. I, I I could see them doing something like that where they'll say, "Hey, listen, we're going to be almost like, you know, these uh, what's it called, um, showing agents or 
assistance, you know, to our premier agents. But if they were to start really getting into like, we're going to start touching the commission directly. I, I think we'll just see hell yeah. break loose, which would be fun for us. Let's yeah. be honest. It would be a lot of fun for Greg and I, but, but, but it would be a lot of fun for you, John. Yeah, <laughs> it would be great. I, I, um, I do think, I mean, obviously a lot of, uh, there are a lot of agents out there who have expressed displeasure with Zillow in the past. I mean, and I won't give the name of this agent. One of the agents I talk to quite often yeah. spends uh, well over $5,000 a month with Zillow and hates them. Right. You know, and right. you've got 1.6 million realtors and 800 something thousand listings, like more, you know, you've right. almost doubled up the number of agents versus listings. I mean, like right. leads are powerful and whoever's providing right. those leads is going to have that power, you know? Yeah. It's just like but, Uber drivers complaining about Uber, right? I mean, but they're, they'll complain about while they're, while they're taking around places. Right. They're going to cast your check and, and bitch about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, but you know? so, that, that's only if Uber is like really monopolistic, which then brings us to a second company, you know, which yeah. is... My my point is maybe Zillow could have pulled something like this off five years ago, three years ago. Now, CoStar's in the game. Yeah. And they are probably one of the more important companies. I know you're also covering CoStar. What's your take on CoStar? Yeah. So we had, you know, we, we I, I have um, closely followed CoStar for over a decade. I used to, it was, it used to be the biggest holding my private account. Um, and then I launched coverage and I couldn't hold it anymore. So that was a a bittersweet moment I had to sell CoStar out of my That's private true. account. But, um, you know, this is a, this, this company is I, like Andy Florence is, I think one of the best leaders I've run across uh, in my time covering this space and just in the markets in general. Uh, I really truly think he's an empire builder. He's very mm -hmm. smart. Um, and, you know, it's one of these things on Resi uh, that, that that fit right in our wheelhouse, right? We've already, mm -hmm. you know, we were kind of looking at it from the commercial side and multifamily, and then they launched this move into Resi and people are coming to us because we cover this Resi world, right? And there's lot, lots of the elements of Zillow um, and having to understand the MLS system, which is crazy at times, um, mm -hmm. having to understand the, the, the thought process of brokerages and agents and how, they, how, how that construct works together. Um, is is crucial to understanding potentially what CoStar could do. It's also crucial to understand right move and REA group, what those models are, how they're able to have those models versus the MLS system here, how they're different, and mm -hmm. understanding all these various pieces. I think is 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 helped us. I, I think have a, at least a view. And you know, back from our report, I think it was in July of last year. Um, we talked about Resi and some of these moves. I feel like we, we were, we kind of hit it on the head to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, my view, big picture is I think Andy has essentially put somewhat of a call option and it's been a low cost option when you think about the price for HomeSnap and, and homes.com. Um, but it's one of those things where I think if the industry, if something happens with MLS, right. And not seeing it falls apart, but like for the first time, I think there's very serious, DOJ reviews, class action suits. And I think if you read some of these class action suits, I, I you know, like, and there's ambulance chasing stuff constantly in this space. Yeah. I got, there's a ghost in my basement. I need to go sue this person, right? That it sold mm -hmm. me this house. Always something. Going through that, those court cases, those lawyers have put together a very compelling, I think, argument. I think it's, it's factually based, you know, I don't know what your views are on all that, but I think for the first time, <laughs> you know, what my views are, I know, I know what your views are, <laughs> um, Mr. Doomsday. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where a Andy's, Andy's move into Resi coinciding with that backdrop is not a coincidence. He is very, very smart. Yeah, there's is, no coincidences, right? That's what we always say on this that, podcast. There is, there is not, there's not, I think it's one of those things where, and I don't want to put my tinfoil hat on, but like he is, um, 
and, and the whole, you know, the, the old saying of skating to where the bus going, you know, the Gretzky saying, I mean, that's, that's what he constantly does. Um, they have experience of building marketplaces from scratch. They have experience from choking out competition. They have a lot of experience there. And in some of the stuff they're looking to do around the content creation and Rob, I read your piece the other day. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of even sell side analysts that are not fully grasping right? and they're missing uh, some crucial elements to the, I think what, what CoStar is up to, but, uh, around the content creation. And this is funny because, you know, when I, when I talked to CoStar, um, you know, talking to the management team, you know, and asking some bits and pieces about the strategy. And they, they're like, well, that, that 320 million, 300 million of investment this year, a lot, large part of that's going to content. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, pause, 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 pause. I'm right, not right, going right. to take content and put, they're investing in content. What is content? Right. Explain that to me. Right. And so this is where we get really into, you know, and, and CoStar obviously has experience in, in putting filled researchers, putting people's feet on the ground. They're actually, some of that spend is to buy cars and to buy yep. software to get this into a database. And so like, that's kind of what they're doing. You know, they're going to go to these neighborhoods. They're going to get really down in depth into the neighborhoods. They're going to figure out amenities. They're going to figure out stuff. And like, there are companies that are getting funding out there, like, like next door. You know, mm-hmm. that is a, literally just a social media site that the value is it. it's everything about the neighborhood. It's crime, it's new events coming on, it's parades happening, it's all that stuff, you know, um, and that is lacking from MLS, you know, and, and one of the, 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 the goods and bads about the MLS, the good is that, yeah, we can structure the data and we can get all the listings, but we can't differentiate, you know, like, so now CoStar, uh, Zillow, Realtor.com, Redfin, they're, it's all basically the same stuff. And so I, I was talking with my team here the other day and, you know, one of the things we were looking for is um, how, let's just say you get a lot of information about a neighborhood. How important is that from a big picture standpoint? How many people are moving five miles, 10 miles and know that neighborhood? Is it redundant mm-hmm. or is it unnecessary information? And I think what we, what we ran across is that you've got something like, 35% of people moving are within the same state, 20% go to a different state, only, you know, only 43% move in the same city. I was hmm. thinking at one point that would be a lot higher. And so you right. do have people going across state lines. And I think that's obviously picked up a lot with work from home dynamic and COVID and whatnot. I don't know how long the, the, the migration happens and, and how often that's going to happen from here. But, um, you know, moving to a new city and not really knowing a whole lot of people, your agent is super important, right? Yeah. Content. So that's one, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's one side of the thing. So, you know, I can I can see where they want to differentiate themselves from Zillow and others by providing this next level of content, right? Um, what what Rob's article also spoke to is that a lot of that was like they're not only going to advertise to agents, but advertise, you know, the the properties themselves, right? Yeah. And then Rob, you know, in the, in this and to me, what did make sense is like the and that the seller was going to pay for those upgrades. Yeah. I mean, I, I've hired an agent to sell my house and then CoStar is going to say to me, hey, you should upgrade your listing on CoStar. Yeah. What the hell am I paying the agent for? Uh, I will say, yeah, and that's a good point. It's a fair point. Um, I will say. And that's, the- a, that's, that's a fair point, but that's like. That's where they're saying that that huge TAM comes from. Is that, that that's that's, that's REA Group? That's Right Move. That's okay. But, okay, but so what what you're saying is, if the asteroid hits, as we talked about, if all this shit blows up, 
and MLS is not what it is today, mm -hmm. that's going to be the model where the seller has to pay it. But that is not that is not currently the right. way things are set up now. That 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 TAM is 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 ether. Well, right? I, I think that TAM is still there, whether it comes it, out. Of but it, not it, in the, it, it's, it might be there in Australia. Well, if it, whether not, it comes it's out, it's not here in the U.S. though. Well, I disagree. I think whether it comes out of the agent's pocket or consumer's pocket, it doesn't really matter. Like the fact that matters, nobody's paying for enhanced listings right now and showcase listings. There's not an option. You can't do it on Zillow, Redfin. That's one of the things they tout as a competitive advantage. They can showcase their own property, stuff like that. In the current market conditions, that shit doesn't matter, right? Like, home, right. like you <laughs> can sell a house. You can sell a house in three days. Have you can hide it under up. a rock, right. and you'll still sell it. Somebody people, will find people it. will yeah. find you. Yes, and there's exactly. some nuance to that. Realtor.com. That's what they're, a lot of the revenue model is based upon with showcasing listings and yeah. changing the order, bubble up your listings to the top and things like that. And it was a horrible consumer experience. Yeah. Right. So this is, yeah. this is not new stuff. Um, and it, it, th th there's a fine line of the execution of that is really, really nuanced, right? You, you can do it right. I think Redfin does a good job, but yeah. if you do it wrong, it's just a, it's a horrible search experience. Well, if I I'm searching for a home, I want to find out the listings that match my search, not, you know, some flaming logo coming to the top being, hey, choose me, choose me, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that that's horrible. I hate those kind of sites. I, th I think I think CoStar at least has a blueprint. It's done well in driving the marketplace for both LoopNet and um, and Apartments.com, and they use a tiered ad, ad package. And it's I think they've done a good job with it, with the you know like cosmetically, like it's just you're paying more and your 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 image is a little bit larger, right? And there's retargeting to it and stuff like that. So there's a way to showcase. And there's a way to to advertise on the sell side mm -hmm. without blasting you with that information. Like you can retarget people as they go search other sites and stuff like that. So I think there's there's things that they've I think proven out that maybe could work on Resi, um, but I do think the market conditions have to be different. Right? Clearly, we have to be more in a balanced market. Like right now, it's just. But you know, what better time to invest and put the you know puzzle pieces together? You know, ahead of the market turning it whenever that happens, ten years, twenty years now. I don't know okay. uh, when inventory ever builds again, but. Um, I do think I, I like them attacking that sell side. And I will tell you for me, my personal experience, I, when I sold my house from Memphis and moved to Little Rock, I sold it in 2011 and it took me eight months to sell the house. I went through three different realtors. The final realtor was, took out a back page ad of the commercial appeal, the Memphis newspaper. And my whole thing was like, good heavens, what are you doing? The, anybody who's going to buy this house is not reading the newspaper. This is like a young neighborhood. Uh, you're, you're going in the wrong way. But like, had I known about something like a co-star, let's just say that they end up scaling traffic, building it, I would be demanding that, that the advertiser don't host open houses. Don't do anything like that. I want you to, I want you to advertise on co-star and get in front of users and retarget and stuff like that. That's how right. I want you to try to sell my house. So I do think it makes sense in some, some, some markets. Um, but just, you know, winding back, I, I, I do think a lot of this is a call option for, um, yeah. for Andy is if, if they rebuild the MLS, they will come with centralized MLS. I mean, I think, you know, uh, I think his, his stake is if that ever happens, we'll be here. I don't think yeah. they're going to try to force the change. That's a big here. bet. Right. But it does yeah. go back to what you're saying where it is making a bet on where the puck is going. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, I think, but the other thing about that is that, you know, okay. There's also the 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 other elephant in the room, Zillow, right? So, mm -hmm. as more of this becomes unveiled, now you have some smart guys over there 
that are not just going to sit still and watch this happen. Right. Right. Um, so, and I mean, Zillow's like part of our culture now, right? They make SNL skits on it and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be very hard to, um, you know, I think they had a, you know, as, as Rob was talking about in his article, uh, about a five-year strategy. Um, and you know, who knows when this, this inventory crisis is going to end. Some, some are predicting not in five years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of things that have to happen here to for for I think his his uh his bet to happen, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I I agree with you. I think it's um I, I think it's a oh, it's not a long shot bet, but the potential economics like if you think about risk reward standpoint and this is how these guys manage their business every company on Wall Street's managing business, every dollar they invest, they're trying to think about the hurdle rate and what their return is. Um, and you put a risk-weighted analysis on that. And if this is your best potential, that's where they're going to go. Um, right. And and I do, I, I, I like how um, they're not, they don't have to necessarily be fully committed to this because the cost of buy-in was not that much. Now they're going to have to throw some chips on the table now as they put another 300, 320 million of investment. But, but it's going to be an iterative step where, right now they're going to build the content, right? And mm-hmm. once you get to that, you're just going to hit first checkpoint. It's going to be, all right, is this content good? We're going to run surveys and focus groups and you and I will be able to see it. We'll go to homes.com and we'll, damn, this is really good content or, oh, this is this is not even worthwhile. But that checkpoint, once you get to that, if it is worthwhile, then you throw in the marketing, right? You start to build the traffic and stuff like that and try to drive the scale. And so I don't think you have to go fully all a billion dollars all in. Yeah, I mean, you right? can. Th- th- I think the thing here we're going to see is the city snap. That should be a preview of, a of, of what's going to be happening, right? So that that'll yeah. be interesting to watch Absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, before we move on, hey man, gun to the head. You're a buy side analyst, and you are told you have to put a billion dollars into either Zillow or CoStar. Ooh. Which are you picking? Good question. Um, and you can't diversify. It has to be all or one or the other. It's going to be CoStar for me because because not because there's more to it than Resi. Like the commercial, mm-hmm. they are the gold standard of commercial, um, the true definition of monopoly, and they haven't even started their international push. And there is probably three three x the addressable market overseas relative to the U.S. So what do you what do you take of that Business Insider piece? It's funny. I actually talked to that. Uh, I was interviewed by the. Um, by the writer, um, it sounds like there's another piece coming out around Andy himself. Um, but uh, I, I thought it was unfair. It's probably the best way I'd describe it. Um, talking about companies' attrition rates being up, like uh, what companies' attrition rate is not up right now. I mean, like it's a mo- game of music chair, musical chairs for a lot of folks. Um, and CoStar clearly for their customers, they need to show good face. They need to they need to get their employees back in the office. We need to make sure that office doesn't fall apart. Oh, yeah. we're, they we're supporting yeah, it'd be you. like they you know, have Bob to. or I doing doing a Fizbo, right? I mean, they gotta yeah. they gotta <laughs> eat their own dog food, right? For exactly. Sure. You gotta yeah. you gotta eat what you're serving, that is for sure. Um right. so yeah, I mean I, I, I wouldn't look too far into it. And them saying that Andy um is a tough leader about yeah of course he is he's an empire builder and one of those things is he leads from the front you know like he's putting in his hundred hours a week he is working over the shoulder of his developers literally helping write the code like that's just that's if you don't like that if you if you don't want to keep up with the cheetahs then yeah go, go find another job you know <laughs> I, I didn't think i didn't look too much into it <laughs> it's such this is such like such a wall street thing to say yeah <laughs> it's it's not just wall street like one of the things because you know when i came up in new york commercial real estate 
And I'm like, this is such a New York City commercial real estate investment banking law firm culture Men- that I think 98% yeah. of Americans just simply can't understand. They it's like, have. you know, there used to be a joke like, oh, yeah, that law firm's a lifestyle firm because the firm is your lifestyle, you know, it's, it. it's stuff like that. And it's just, yeah. it is what it is. If you don't, yeah, yeah can't hack it, then yeah. get out. And I think Andy's very, so <clears throat> moving on. There are a bunch of other companies you guys you cover as well, so I don't want to lose sight of them. But specifically, let's talk a little bit about the traditionals, right? And by mm-hmm. traditionals, I'm talking Realogy, Remax. Um, I guess Kel Williams not public yet, but you know, there's a lot of talk about them. Maybe Compass to some extent, um, yeah. and uh, EXP. What's your take on them as a whole, and then specific sort of companies that you know the sort of the goods and pros and cons of each. Yeah, I mean the the resi brokerage world, the, the legacy or traditional world. I mean, they've been under this like verbal attack of disruption, and it really just hadn't happened all that much yet. You know, I mean, there's, these guys are still plugging along. Um, I give a lot of kudos to Realogy and that management team. I mean, they they've kind of figured out the secret sauce, or they figured out the formula where they can grow, they can give agents more commissions, and they can. To a, to a degree, cut out costs and protect margins. I think, Rob, you and I talked about this many years ago, mm-hmm. but the idea was that how much cost is there to take out? Can you do that? You know, and I think they've done it. You know, um, clearly U.S. housing helped. It made everybody look a whole lot better. Yeah, um, sure. You know, and, um, but Realty, I mean, like, you never let a good good market or bad market go to waste, you know, and I think they really structurally improved their balance sheet where it takes out this, like, going concern, you know, Um mm-hmm. And not to say that that was ever really that much of a issue outside of COVID, but um, they've really kind of changed the complexion of the balance sheet. You know, um, the whole thing around um, the guaranteed rate JV and and you know setting up financial services like everybody's been talking about that, and these SPACs come out and talk about how they're going to take twenty percent of the market over time, and people buy into that when the market's super risk on and rates are at all time lows. But like now, take a take a look back, and these guys, a lot of these guys hadn't done anything. And Realogy is, is is showing you right hundreds of millions of dollars of EBITDA um, from cross sales. So they're kind of they're doing it right. They're not just talking about it. Um, so I, I give them a lot of credit. You know, I think that what they yeah. swung to recently is um, uh, buybacks. You know, capital deployment, a dividend, and all that stuff. So um, Realogy is pretty interesting. It's just one of those things where it's sometimes hard to pitch. Like right now. As you can tell, I mean, over the last six months, I, I, I break my world into two spots. You know, there's like disruption and then there's legacy. The disruption guys are down like 60% over yeah, the last sure. six months, right? Just I gotten annihilated. And the uh, legacy guys are, I think, down 7%, 8%. So it's, you know, it's tough to, to, to make a call on some of these guys. But I think one of the things I've told you right now is some people are having trouble finding what, what is what is the narrative what's the story because if, if it's all just u.s housing it, a lot of investors don't feel good about u.s housing they feel like mm-hmm. we're in a bubble and you gotta remember a lot of the people who are making decisions a lot of the portfolio managers across the u.s who are managing billions of dollars and can make a decision in one fell swoop a lot of them are of the age where they went through the crisis right they were investing during the last housing crisis and they have PTSD, right? They don't, for sure. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I think people are like, look, there's a lot of places to invest in the market. We'll just not, we're going to go underweight real estate. 
you know, and they're going to, they're going to balance out portfolios and, you know, some of these big money managers are going to hit a button and it's going to sell everything that's interest rate driven, you know? So real quick though, because one of my thesis behind that is, do you think it's that they're saying underweight real estate or are they saying underweight real estate companies? Here's what I mean. Uh, I just read a note from uh, this analyst I follow talking about don't invest in gold miners, invest in gold, right? So if you have this expectation, thought about inflation, right? Mm-hmm. You want an inflation hedge. His thing was don't invest in gold miners, just get physical gold, right? So when you th- see all these institutional investors rotating out of the capital markets into actual physical real estate, like KKR, yeah, you know, like, you know, a lot of these hedge funds, sovereign wealth funds, institutional investors, you know, John Burns, I think has been really on top of that trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you seeing or sensing that as well? Like, you know, maybe they're saying, you know what? We're not going to buy Realogy. Yeah. We're going to buy homes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, are you seeing? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's some companies out there that are a little bit more of a pure play on that. But the problem with like something like a REIT, right, is rising rates is does like your the spread game is not good for you. And then you could buy home builders, but raw materials, the cost to build is just through the roof. Mm-hmm. And then you've got everybody else who's touching it. So, yeah. Can you actually invest in a, in a property, right, without having to do a REIT? That's more difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It's it's more underweight real estate providers and service providers as, a, as right. it is actual the hard asset, right, or the, right. the you know the actual build. Um, but no, I mean I think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, but no, I mean it's I think it's one of those things where um, a lot of PMs right now it's just and these things don't last forever, right? This is why stock. So stock charts have these patterns, right? Um, there's a sentiment, there's a shift, and then it gets under, it gets oversold, right? And people come right. back to it. So I think we're kind of in that, not quite in that transition zone yet, but it's coming. Okay, so re- that's Realogy. What's your take on some of the other big traditionals? Uh, you know, Remax in particular, because they just had a CEO change. Yeah. You know, I think Remax is interesting here. Remax is more of a franchise model, and but clearly, I mean, a franchise model's you know, eventually it's, 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 it might be the highest on the flood ground, but it's, you know, if the underlying industries under pressure, like right. you're going to feel that eventually. And if competition is there and splits there and all that stuff are, are moving against you, eventually that catches up with you. But, um, you know, it, it still is a franchise model. It's got 60 something percent recurring revenue. They pay a, you know, pretty healthy dividend. Um, they've got 30 percent type margins in recurring growth that is, you know, kind of mid single digits. So it's not explosive, but it's a, it's a good little asset, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the trouble with Remax has been, it, it's multiple, what investors are willing to pay for it, right? Has right. fallen almost directly coinciding with agent count, US agent count. So it's a mm-hmm. problem. People cannot see through ancillary services, cross sales and being able to like sign up, like sign up for mid single digit organic growth over the next 10 years without agent count growth. Mm-hmm. You know, and getting more revenue per agent. People just are not willing to buy into that right now. So I think the new management team, I think they see that. Uh, you know, I think Steve is, um, I don't know how long he'll be there, maybe in the next couple of months, but he is very convicted in changing a couple of things. I actually had them for a non-deal roadshow two days ago. Um, and that was his message is this is undoubtedly our number one priority. Is agent recruiting right? A hundred percent was not mincing words, Um, and I don't know if you saw their last or caught their last earnings call, but they did something out, and I actually followed up with a question just to make sure that they said it again, so people were paying attention to it. They talked about equity issuance. They've Mm -hmm. never talked about that before. 
what is the one thing that the really fast growth guys are doing right now? It's issuing equity. Why do some of these XP, Fathom, yeah. sure. why do some yeah. of these companies want to come public to be yeah. able to issue equity? Everybody's going to be doing that. And so it's almost like table stakes. So Remax being an old, sleepy, traditional, them actually pointing that out. I don't think you just talk to it and then move on there. I think that was a hint there. It's coming. Um, right. And, you've, and like EXPI, you've got a 3% dividend yield. This is passive income for, for, for uh, agents. You, you yeah. get that equity, they potentially grow with the equity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as you th- if you're Remax, you sit back in, in Denver in your boardroom, the idea is, again, it's just a trade-off, all right? How much margin are we going to trade? How much equity dilution are we going to trade to get agent growth? Because if we can trade off a little bit of dilution and get the agent growth, the multiple and the what's stock, the multiplier? What's the multiplier and agent growth on everything? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right. The bingo. And so if these guys, just to, just to frame this up, I'm not tr- trying to get too Wall Street here, too much in the technicals, but the stock trades at nine times 40 bid All right. Historically, 12 and a half or something like that is what it's traded at. The franchise peers trade at 15 to 16 times. Mm-hmm. If you assume that these guys were to grow their agents, get back to agent growth of like four or five percent U.S. agent growth, like they used to do in the past pretty consistently, if you believe that, it'll it'll drive their growth up to about ten percent, and that's going to be above you know the peer group average, and you know like you're going to get that multiple. You get the fifteen times. That's a hundred dollar stock. I mean, yeah, Remax yeah. is sitting here at twenty nine bucks, and so if you give up a little bit of dilution. You, you get paid in spades, I feel like. I think that's kind sure. of the, they're thinking about that, you know, that trade-off and I think that's that's coming. So we'll see. So the question though is, is it too late, right? Because EXPI is specifically, their growth has been nothing short of astronomical. Like it's Crazy. astonishing. And right at their heels, we have Fathom. We have HomeSmart that's going public. We have KW that's been talked about going public. Presumably all of those guys will do the exact, They'll just follow the XPI model, right? Because yeah. it's, it's just proven. A real so, brokerage just reported, I think, 630-something percent revenue growth. Reported right. The day. So, just, yeah. Is it too late? I, so, you know, in the context of that, I mean, what's your take on EXP? What's your take on some of these other guys? You know, But then again, I mean, the other thing you might want to frame that also with is that, you know, you talk about this equity model working, but look at Compass. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, those guys, uh, you know, all, also had an equity model and that didn't work out too well. Right. So you, you see yeah. both sides of the equation with there. Maybe you could frame sure. it a little bit on. Yeah. So both, give us your both. take on that type of move overall. Uh, just on the equity issuance. But, but like looking at EXP on the one hand, which has been incredibly yeah. successful. And then like, you know, like Greg said, Compass, which I don't No, It's totally different markets. It's a little bit different model. Why? Yeah. But then maybe there are other guys like Fathom or, you know, some of these guys that you could throw in there. Yeah. EXP is interesting in the sense that like, like when I think about it from my side of the world, it's a fund of funds. Like I can Mm. go get the resources and I can go build my little empire within that and just kind of change the name of the business card and keep doing what I've always done. You know, I think that's the thing with XPI is it's, it's one single brokerage. There's not franchise fees and stuff like that. I think that's one of the things that's kind of tricky for Remax is sitting as a franchise or, Things are a lot more difficult because um, you're having yeah. to you're having to you're having to put you're having to affect change through all these various tentacles out there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's the cha- main challenge for them. But um, you know, Compass Compass is I, I used to be pretty negative on Compass because um, I was like I just don't see how this model ever how they ever make money. 
Mm-hmm. But I think Realogy has shown you that there's a lot of costs to be taken out. I think Compass has been pretty judicious on its costs. And a lot of its investment spend right now is going to product development. It's not like facility costs and stuff like that. That's that, that's a lever that either you keep spending there and you produce something great, something we don't, you know, the, the platform actually truly is transformational mm-hmm. or whatever working, whatever, whatever you're spending on is not panning out and you wind that back, you know? And so I feel like right. there's, it's kind of a binary event for them. Either it's something good or they just cut it out. Um, and the whole notion, you know, I, I think with Compass, it's like you ask yourself the question, you could very well see their splits from a percentage standpoint decline in the years ahead. And it's not because they'll be less aggressive. It's because they'll be hiring more middle tier producers in, big, in those big markets. Because right? I think what their strategy has been is you go get that heavy hitter, right? The one who's right. got a network effect built around them. And that's your beachhead in that market. And then you build around that individual. Um, so I think they're still, I mean, I mean, gosh, less than 10 years ago, they didn't exist. And their number one brokerage, I guess, by sides right now or by, by total volume. I saw that the no, other day. They can't. Compass? Yeah. No, Realogy still, it's still Realogy Home Services. Well, I, I think I, this is one of the things well, about the luxury uh, market there, though. You know, they, the, maybe the houses luxury. they sell is crazy. So the vol- sales volume might be true. Yeah. No, I think when it's, um, this is this is the funny thing about numbers, right? And all these real estate stats is like you can use whatever one works for you. Is it sides? Right. Is it volume? <laughs> is it right. is it by region? Is it franchise versus brokerage? Um, I think this was. I think that stat is coming probably from Real Trends is the single biggest brokerage. Real just got you know obviously called uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Twenty one and ERA and all that really? stuff. I haven't I haven't seen that. I mean, it's because Realogy the brokerage division just the NRT and the home services just the. The brokerage, not the franchising. I thought it's still number one or two, but maybe it's changed. I have to, I have yeah. to double check. Go yeah. check but out. Anyway, okay. On their social media, I think probably Twitter, yeah. Instagram, all that yeah. stuff. They, they 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 hit something I think yesterday on it. But anyway, um, <laughs> Compass. Yeah, I you know everybody and Rob, I agree with you. Everybody's singing the same, and I can hear this for sure myself because when I go on the road with these individuals and I go to conferences or we go to their analyst days, they're all saying the same thing: ancillary services, ancillary services. Yeah, and so. I think it's one of those things where did something just click where all of a sudden that starts to work mm-hmm. or is everybody just talking it up as a narrative? Cause it's a way to expand margins and something people can buy into wall. Cause wall street, as you guys know, is like a stock is made up of two parts. It's the numbers, the fundamentals, and it's what you feel about it. Right. It's the, it's the, it's the sentiment. I talk about the multiple, that's kind of the sentiment side. And right. so you can make a stock work where the numbers not doing anything as long as people will have a belief that things will work, right? Belief that margins will double because I can do all these ancillary services. So I don't know if people are really preaching this now because there really is something that's starting to click or if it's something that everybody's viewing as investor or, you know, everybody's thinking the investors buy into this. So we got to say the same tune and people will give us a bigger multiple. So this is a question that I've, I've wanted to just ask someone. And again, I know you don't cover financial services. Like that's not your bailiwick, but clearly your firm does. So you probably know those guys and at least have some conversations mm-hmm. in your view. What's more likely to happen first that these brokerages achieve massive scale and ancillary services or could the mortgage and title companies start brokerages? Um, it's a good Rocket is already Rocket. doing yeah. brokerage, yeah. right? Yeah, that's so, exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. It is vertical integration, um, and it can work just as easily the other way. Um, I think it's probably um, easier to back into a mortgage. if you uh, The title operations can be tricky. 
I mean, there's right. licenses. I mean, I guess it's somewhat similar to on the brokerage side, but licenses in every state, there's multiple different regulators. Um, and then you got to determine where you're a balance sheet driven lender, right? Which is really tough to do. Or mm-hmm. are you getting funds elsewhere? You're non-bank lender. Um, so there, there's a lot, a lot of intricacies there. Um, title is probably a little easier. Um, clearly you're not going to be, it's going to be tough to be an underwriter. That is a true oligopoly. Um, but it's not, I don't think overly difficult to become an agent, but you know, lots of regulations there too. I mean, it's just kind of a minefield. And so I think this is why you have RESPA lawyers that are, that's yeah, all yeah. they do like full time. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, but no, it's a good point. I mean, it, it, you know, and I, I think once you start seeing people like rocket launch brokerages or people like loan Depot, you know, with mellow homes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does kind of validate it, right? The idea that these things really are. And again, this is my entire coverage list. When I pitched my director of research on covering these random companies, he was like, what are you talking about? And my, <laughs> this is my whole view. Is that the, li- the lines are blurring, right? Yeah. Part of the reason, and U.S. being the largest asset class in the world, part of the reason you hadn't seen all this private equity involvement is because it was too too many nuances. Like as you go close a house 30 to 45 days, you close, you know, you sign a hundred something documents. Like there's a lot of parties and it's very complicated. And so the way to win is put them all together, right? From an LTV to CAC standpoint, you pay the cost on one time up front for the consumer and you get all those multiple iterations of revenue events. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's coming and, you know, I think you, you're starting to see these vertical integrations, these lines starting to blur across the value chain. All right. So I, man, we've already, I can't believe we've already spent almost an hour and there's so much, like we could, <laughs> yeah, could be sure. three part, hours part two that. coming. Right? There, there's some <laughs> other things that we, you know, we have to touch on the biggest one being open door, you know, offer pad. I don't know if you're covering iBuyer specifically, but I know you have thoughts on it, especially because Zillow was in the iBuying until what Q3 of last yeah. year. So what's your take yeah, on I, open door? What's your take on iBuyer, the whole market maker model? Yeah, I mean, for me uh, and Rob, I think I've been like on record of like there is a market for it of maybe less than, you know, maybe 5%. You know, right. Rob's like, Whereas 60. I'm saying 60%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so please settle settle this bet here, settle the score here. Uh, I, I, uh, Rob, I'm definitely closer to your side. I think 5 or 10%, 15% <laughs> maybe. Um, it's kind of, there's a use case there. You know, like, especially if you think conditions stay like this, there's a use case there. Like if you, if this is why there's such thing as, as power buyers and cash buyers, right. you know, like right. you have to, you have to entice your offering. Um, and so sometimes that helps you get out. And like when home prices appreciate as much as they have, when you build this degree of equity, taking an extra 1% fee is, that's no problem, you know, like for a lot of folks. Um, so I do think it makes sense. Um uh, there's no one in this world who can convince me that, uh, you know, or who can, you know, s- take me off the position of, you know, home prices really helping these models. I mean, we talk about, we often talk about home prices appreciating year over year, like hell it's been month to month. It's been yeah. week to yeah. week. Yeah. And when these guys are playing with razor thin margins already, if you get a 2% sequential list on a price, like that is a game changer, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think it's, um, it's one of those things also where, um, to build, you know, I think for open door and off pad and these guys, uh, what's left after Zillow is one of the things like it didn't, it wasn't great to have Zillow as a competitor bidding against you, but it was great to have Zillow as a proponent of the entire industry. Right. Right. Zillow, Zillow was, you know, basically supporting that. Um, I just think it's one of those things with Zillow backing out. 
Um, like I said earlier, you know, it's probably the next best alternative, but like, what if it was, and this is uh, kind of a shame on the management team for taking this long to kind of come to terms with it. But like, did they just wake up one day and say, God, this is so crazy right now. Can you imagine if we want to do this at scale over time, like how impactful this could be the balance sheet and how dangerous this could be, you know? So I just, I, I do wonder for guys like open door, I mean, how sustainable is the model? You know, I just, I, it, it's still, it's still a struggle to me. It's just now, weird to me, like going back to, you know, Rich Barton saying on that one podcast that they, he thought that open door was an existential threat to Zillow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Stratechery. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, so it, I guess it isn't, he's saying now, right. As you're saying, somebody over figured out, like we can do this some other way without the risk and get yeah. all the benefit right i mean and i guess you know going back to what you said i think somebody told me like zillow's only been profitable three quarters of their entire life um and you know but but you're saying also wall street says well they like the story so as long as they believe in the story they're going to keep buying and and keep yeah. promoting right but um there was definitely uh a, a little dip in their story for sure when when they left that right yeah yeah um it is, you know, I, I do think, I just don't know how much of it was. And I think we're going to, this oftentimes with Zillow and same thing with CoStar is things are much easier to understand in retrospect, right? You, 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 but you can see the kind of puzzle pieces putting together. So I think we'll find out soon whether Zillow really went to something just better and maybe iBuying is still a fine concept or iBuying is just terrible and they just want to get away from it, right? If nothing else happens in the story, there's no other you know, the super app doesn't do anything and, you know, showing time acquisition really doesn't pan out and they're just kind of stuck. They were just getting away from my buying. Right. So mm -hmm. I think we'll see. Yeah. If it, to me, the story is, is it's a fight between Barton and Florence to see who wins. And then you have this I buyer thing that, you know, you don't, it's a little bit of a wild card in the, that's in the waiting in the wings. Right. Yeah all on the backdrop of this crazy market right now. Right. Yeah. And it is such an exciting time to be in this. I mean, I say this every year, this, this industry does not, it just is undefeated in the amount of drama and oh, storytelling and everything. Fun. Yeah. But it's so I, fun. I don't know if you can see it in the podcast, but I got a lot of gray hairs now. And these, <laughs> these happen over, these have happened over these years, keeping up with all this stuff. But uh, yeah, it's been a truly exciting space to cover. Yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, offer pad showing like flexing its profit muscle. That was important. Yeah. I thought it was so funny. They threw a profit party. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> they, when they hit profitability through a party, I'm like, you're, so you're going to spend money because you were profitable. Okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I think doing it, I think <clears throat> Zillow's point is, is I think OfferPad showed this, that when you try to scale too quickly, that's where stuff breaks, you know, um, and OfferPad has been, you know, slower share gains, but has been very selective and has shown that there's a path to profitability. Um, I think the question is, can you do it at scale and ever become consistently profitable yeah. throughout any cycle is the big question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, again, I, I, we could talk for much longer, but the two sort of more rapid fire type of things. I know you cover the housing market because it's so important to how these stocks do. Right. And you've released some, you know, some of your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, and we've talked about the crazy, insane housing market, you know, throughout this thing and, Greg and I argue about this all the time. And actually, we need to do an episode, Greg, where we just talk about, you know, the housing market. Um, my opinion that I've been holding for a while now is that we, we are not seeing a hot seller's market. 
we're not seeing a housing market, we're seeing dollar devaluation, which then drives a lot of different things. You don't have to agree or disagree with that. What's your take? What, what do you see housing market doing this year, maybe next year? Especially as the Fed is now talking about tightening and raising rates and all of that. I can't tell you what I think units and price are going to do, but I will tell you, I think volume stays up this year. I think it's probably up next year too. Um, mm. Frankly, I think 6. it's- 6.2, 6.3. Yeah, somewhere in that territory. I think mo- up modestly. I, there's not a breakout coming anytime soon. Um, uh, I, this is another longer conversation, but if if fees are lower and stuff like that, I do think there's a lot of upside to existing home sales over time. But here, we're I feel like we're kind of top of the cycle. Um, you know, it's like one of those things where I do think, I don't know what really breaks that cycle anytime soon. Um, I, I think we'll stay at the top for here for the next couple of years. Um, couple of years. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking still like 15, double digit, 15 to 20% home price appreciation. No, no, no. I think, I think what we'll end up seeing is down modestly units and up modestly price. Uh, so like, I think like five, 6% growth next couple of years. And I think in price that, terms, I think okay. price starts. Yeah. Price, price times, times units, right? There, so yeah, it's hitting the close to the, the, that's what you're saying is the peak is on the appreciation is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, so I think yeah. home prices are getting now if wages grow faster or whatever, uh, we'll see. I mean, if you look at affordability, there, there's still some room there. Um, and I do think I'm one of the believers that like, I do think the pandemic permanently changed the idea and the notion of the home, right? Where people wanted, like, it, it's more valuable now. So maybe you're cutting out of the vacations, you're paying more for your house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that that's impactful. But I mean, like, from an affordability standpoint, I think the average mortgage payment as a percent of income is at 17, 18% right now. So yeah. it's, it's, high, it's higher than what it's been over the last several years, but it's in line with where it was in late 2018 when rates were up. Um, and, and that's important to call out. I mean, think about how much home prices have appreciated since 2018. And from an affordability standpoint, at least by the metrics we follow, kind of the, kind of the same level. And so okay. that's been wage growth and stuff like that. So. All right, cool. And then finally, uh, you know, some other companies in the space. I know you cover Title. I know you cover others. Like, who, who's interesting, who's exciting that we haven't talked about? Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> the one I would call out real fast on Redfin um, oh, I can't yeah, believe we, we didn't talk about yeah, Redfin. Yeah, oh we got to talk about Redfin. I um, got to talk about Redfin. Yeah, so I've, uh, you know, I initially, when I launched coverage a couple of years ago, I, I started off with a sell, which is a pretty big thing to do when you start your coverage, right? Yeah. Um, and then I double upgraded, <laughs> wow. double upgraded, double upgraded to a buy um, and went back equal weight around COVID um, because I, just a fixed cost model uh, during COVID was terrifying. Um, and then I upgraded um, you know, a couple months after that and just downgraded. Right. So I've been all over the place with Redfin and this last downgrade, I got to the point where I'm like, I've never really set myself and stared at myself in the mirror and said, is this model right? Is this model right for the industry? Mm-hmm. Um, your agent, you're like, you're having trouble with attrition. So you're having to pay for more agents or you're having to pay, pay more for your agents. Part of the belief over time is this technology driven. You would do more transactions per agent. And so you can leverage that fixed cost of the salary of the agent. Now that's going down. They're basically telling you that they kind of peaked out in gross margins during the pandemic, the early part of 21. So like that's as high as we can get. Um, and then if you think about like, think about these lawsuits and this is, I feel bad for them that they're getting sued. It's like housing discrimination stuff mm-hmm. because the way their model works, their partner agent model works is if, if the home is a certain price point, if it's too low, 
they, they can't service it. So they kick you. So they show, sh- sh- you know, move you elsewhere. So to a regulator, if they look at certain races by price points, which is more of a society issue than a Redfin issue. And all they, all they, they don't pay attention to anything, but the race of the individual that Redfin is saying, I'm not working with you. Then it looks really bad for them. So the idea now is, you know, their partner agent program can, they continue that. Or they're going to have to change it because that's a huge part of their model that allows them to be a W-2 salaried provider and have ability to kind of flex with the flow of housing, right? So they can monetize some of that traffic that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise, you know? Um, so you ask questions, you know, tough questions around that. You know, they've just acquired a mortgage brokerage company, a traditional brokerage company called Bay Equity. And right. they completely eliminated all their back office technology spend on mortgage the whole idea was the, the the digital value chain and homegrown technology with a with a feedback loop with agents and you build your own technology and then they took all their staff and re- got rid of them and replaced them with traditional mortgage staff so i just i don't know i get to the point with redfin i'm like gosh stock's gotten so beat up and every stock's got a price but um or you know got a, a buying point but I, there's some questions on the model i have now that um are kind of left unanswered interesting all right <clears throat> Cool. Any anybody else before uh, that? We just thank you and try and reschedule for like a full on yeah, debate about part you know, two and part I three. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Know? I would. Lo- I'd love to jump back on. I love. I love these conversations, and um, it's been yeah. been a pleasure. Say, so are there any startups like that? You know, aren't publicly traded? Maybe you're not covering them, but that you saw in the, in our space that's particularly exciting to you. I kind of like Picasso. Um, nice. Uh, you know, Picasso is kind of interesting. Uh, the, the the second home. Um, ownership and stuff i just they've got an interesting model around that that i think you know they're, they're gonna get a, a property management fee for doing so they've got an interesting little revenue model yeah. tied to, yeah. to a, a growing popular concept you know so that's something you always keep an eye on um you know i've been keeping an eye on a bunch of the folks out there i mean like guys like home home light um is one i've been watching um I, you know, I like some of these uh, property tech players uh, around, like like the SaaS property management players around, like mm-hmm. multifamily and stuff like that. Like Appfolio uh, and yeah. Those guys. Well, yeah. I've, I was I had an underweight on Appfolio and I just uh, put them at equal weight recently. But RealPage was acquired by Tim sure. Bravo and Private Equity. Um, but there's a lot of little smaller concepts out there that are pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just you, you like I, I'm a big believer in. Um, like the ancillary services, like cross-selling. Once you get that unit, it's a land and expand approach where you, you attach the payments and property insurance and property marketing and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. John, uh, it's always it's fun to awesome. talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah set, my pleasure. We really have to try and schedule like a part two, part three so we yeah. get like real deep into some of these issues. But uh, Yeah, we need to get together and do it over drinks. <laughs> seriously, that would yeah, be ideal. Cool. You know, we can't record those, but we, that would be really fun. <laughs> um, look, maybe if you come to like Inman in Vegas or something, yeah. you know, because I live here. So we'll, we'll yeah. all go out to dinner and have some drinks and, and have, have some. I'll tell you what um, we really think. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So listen. <laughs> Yeah, again, I mean, I figure most of our audience that's uh, in the position of wanting to talk to an investment banker, to a, an actual Wall Street analyst, they probably already know you. Uh, shame on you if you don't know John Campbell and Stevens. Mm-hmm. But in case somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how, how do they find you? Yeah, my, my email is uh, just john.campbell at stevens.com. That's with a PH. Yeah. All right. All right. Like I said, well, one of the finest analysts on Wall Street covering our industry Thank you, John, so very much. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. 
So that's uh, that was that was great. That was yeah. I mean that was spot on, and I, I like uh, I like your questions. Um, and you know, it's it, I I think back to like there was a post I wrote called "Co-Stars Big Bet Against the MLS," and yeah. you know, a lot of people said, "Well, that's a strange take. That's a whatever." But I mean, yeah. I think this to me kind of confirms exactly that. It's just it is a bet. You know, it's what do you call it? Put option or something or a call option? Call option, right? yeah, yeah. A call option. So it's and it's exactly what you've been saying. Where uh, I think we we put it at that point. If the asteroid hits the yeah. MLS industry, right. this this model is 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 the way to go. And it's in his mind, it's a, a relatively small price to pay with the acquisition of HomeSnap and Homes.com. Yeah. And then if they stair step this content strategy first, and then you know more advertising revenue and blah blah blah. Yeah, uh, I think the biggest things is number one is for CoStar at least is that if if these lawsuits turn into anything, they might not. And the other thing is like this market, as he said, this is such a crazy market. Who's going to win, right? Uh, I think I don't know. We we got to do a, we got to do a deep dive into CoStar and and what's happening and the industry as a whole. Um, but the one thing that it, like I you know this isn't a conversation with John. Right, because John covers you know the big public companies, yeah. and he's covered CoStar for ten years. Um, but one of the things I was when he was talking, what I was thinking about was like three hundred twenty million dollars going to spend it doing content. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, how many MLS can do that? That's not their job, but yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's a conversation, right? Maybe the, the MLS need to unite and come together and you know, collect their budgets because if that's something that Andy's doing, then that's something MLS needs to think about. And yet, why aren't they? You know, it's it's that whole conversation. But <clears throat> anyway, we're look, we're already over an hour. Yeah, man, yeah. And I uh, love I know our our listeners like us and all, but this is a bit long, uh, even by our standards. <clears throat> so let's just uh, wrap up. Let's say thanks to people who have uh, tuned in. Say thanks to John for uh, joining us. And um, I don't know any final messages, Greg? No, just great to have John on. Um, you know, it, it's your contact, so I like you bringing these uh, really smart guys, and uh, I always learn a lot listening to yeah. to you and, and and John for sure. All right, thanks everybody. <clears throat> Peace out. Peace.